Welcome to Vernon North. It's Q&A Minisode Episode 2, Electric Boogaloo. And here's your host, Caroline Hallstrom. Hello again. Welcome to Vernon North. It's winter outside, so we are answering questions hot off the press. Thank you from the Facebooks for all of these wonderful questions. Here's my sidekick, my co-host, Dan Hudson. Hello. <laughs> Dan is definitely sidekick material. <laughs> I don't know what a sidekick would say, but imagine that I no, just said a, you just nod silently. I feel like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> you affirm my decisions and have my back in a gunfight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running get, away from the gun. Get the Batmobile oh, ready. I'm a bad sidekick. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take pick up where we left off last time. Uh, let's do some Q and A questions, Randy. Awesome. Siobhan asks, I have trouble wintering my succulents inside. What are some tips and tricks for keeping them healthy? And it looks like she's in southern British Columbia. Is that correct? Ooh. BC. It says BC. I believe so. Okay, cool. That's before Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. she's, she's a long so time she's ago. Religious. She's a time traveler as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent question. And I think I can field this one. All right. So I have been able to keep a bunch of succulents. I've got some echeverias. I've got some not hardy sedums. Mm. And I have a couple of uh, cactuses, cacti, uh, that are doing great. And in the wintertime, I bring them inside my house. I stick them in a south-facing window. And I also give them a couple of grow lamps to work with. Grow lamps, when you're using them, actually have to be fairly close to the leaves that you're trying to... Keep alive. So they're really close, like just a couple inches above my cactuses. And truth be told, sometimes in the winter they look a little rough. However, it's kind of the dormant season for a lot of plants that you're trying to overwinter out of the cold inside your house. So once the spring comes around and you bring them outside, you have to harden them off. Uh, if that is how you bring things outside kind of slowly a couple hours at a time to work them up to the point where they can handle being outside in your Mm -hmm. driveway. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what you have to do and then protect them from spring rains and then they're good to go. But yeah, sometimes in the winter, they don't look the greatest. So only water them like once a month, give them as much light as you possibly can Accept the fact that they're not going to look perfect, especially in the wintertime. And always remember that you can steal a few cuttings, use a few leaves to propagate some new ones for next year. That's my tips and tricks for keeping my succulents going through the winter. Solid. Solid. I don't have any succulents. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> just palms. Just palms that you samurai slash. Forever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Your garden samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> My gardening sword. <laughs> yeah. That's the most Andy Dwyer thing that you do. <laughs> Puts on a gi, goes outside. <laughs> Johnny karate. <laughs> All right. Let's have another question. Uh, I, this might be from the same person. I don't have a name attached to this one. Right. Uh, what do you think about plant grafting? Mm. Mm, Dan and I were discussing this. Lay it on, Dan. <sighs> well, <laughs> there are, in my opinion, two types of grafting. One which is odd, but 
<laughs> but uh, respectable and sometimes, you know, it may make sense. For example, apple trees. Let's say, uh, yes. you know, if, if you want to grow apples, an, an apple tree, if you start from seed, there's absolutely no guarantee what you're going to get. It's just a total crapshoot on the apples. So if you want like a golden shoot. delicious, which is still a crappy apple, but if you want, let's hey, say Honeycrisp. Hey, let's, uh, no, hey. no I, I won't. I won't <laughs> equivocate. They this suck. coming from a guy who can't eat raw apples. Yeah, that's true. I used to eat apples, though, so I, I remember what they taste <laughs> like. And they were mealy and nasty. <laughs> um, yeah, so grafting, oh, apple trees. Oh, yeah, trees. grafting. Okay. So, Get it together. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of apple trees are so like, you can go buy, like, a Honeycrisp or whatever at the nursery, right? Right. That's rootstock that they have then grafted a branch from a different tree onto that rootstock Mm -hmm. so it's all it's like the same genes it's the same dna in that tree as the other one it isn't like a new like a different plant it's the same it's a clone it's the same plant so that's clone wars yeah that's commonly done in a lot of stuff there's a lot of plants that like the rootstock doesn't survive in the colder zones oh yeah 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 hardier you know like a lot of crab apples and stuff like that i forget what else but there's a number of woody plants that they'll do that to. And that's that's totally fine. Uh, where I draw the line, however, is like the Nazi-style genetic experimentation <laughs> mayhem. Settle abomination. down. Abomination. Settle down. <laughs> Caroline showed me a picture where, was it an artist who did this? Yeah, okay. So there's an artist who took a bunch of stone fruit varieties and he wanted to preserve the all these different lines. He preserved the, the species genetic diversity. And so he was going to graft like 50 different varieties of stone fruit. Stone fruits are like peaches, plums. Mm-hmm. Apricot. Uh, pits, yeah, stuff with pits. And he was going to graft it all together, and this tree was going to bloom tie-dye with, like, pinks and purples and whites and reds and da 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 And it's, like, it was a fun idea. And you can go on some places, they'll sell you, like, five in one pairs. Like, <laughs> grow five different varieties of pears on one tree, self-fertilizing. Which is, like, kind of a cool idea because then you just plant the one tree and then you get five different kinds. Maybe one yeah. is ripe before another. It fertilizes itself. All It all sounds good on paper, but in practicality, not all of those things survive. Yeah. Especially this far north. So, like, when I'm thinking about it and when I, it sounds to me like some horror movie where different like <laughs> body parts are all sewn onto the same like monstrous creature. Yeah, okay, well, settle down. <laughs> Still, I say, okay, so there's a cool group of gorilla grafters who will go through mm. neighborhoods, especially in food desert areas. And oh. if you have a crab apple tree in your yard, they might sneak a splice of a fruit-bearing apple onto your tree. That's kind of neat. So that there's at least one branch that's going to produce food randomly for anybody who wants it and needs it in the future. That's cool. That's like seed bombing. (laughs) But it's grafting. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to graft. A lot of times it has to do with what's going to keep your plant the correct size, what's going to keep your plant the healthiest, 
what's going to keep your plant surviving through the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of different reasons that people graft fruit trees. You showed me a picture of a tomato plant grown off a potato. Yeah, yeah. That, that to me, I don't know what to do about that. Okay, so pe- people can also graft vegetables. Like you can get some really huge yields out of grafted eggplants and grafted peppers and tomatoes. What are they grafted onto? They grafted onto like a really hardy stock, just like trees, except this is just for the one year. This is just for the season, but you're going to get like 10 times as, (laughs) you're going to get like 10 times as many potatoes. Okay, so brandy wine tomatoes, point in case. Brandy wine, delicious, awesome, huge tomato, but the plant is kind of a wimp when it comes to a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. So they will grow a brandy wine, hack it off, and shove it onto the stock of something hardy like a yellow pear or some kind of hybrid oh. that's got some disease resistance yeah. to soil-borne diseases. Yeah. Grafted tomatoes are not resistant to blight the way a regular tomato is because that is a pathogen that's through foliar issues. So splashes, blowing things mm-hmm. around, that kind of thing. So it's pretty cool. I would love to do that because I am tired of getting low yields out of my heirloom tomatoes. What if I graft them onto something a little beefier? Grafting tomatoes onto potatoes because they are in the same family. Solanaceae. (laughs) Uh, Solanaceae. They are relatively compatible. So somebody had the novel idea to make a a ketchup and fries plant. So you can... (laughs) See, it's novel. You laughed. <laughs> it's cute. You only oh have the one God. pot. You grow your tomatoes. You grow your potatoes. <laughs> the issue with that is you're not going to get as many tomatoes off of that plant because your plant is also putting energy into potatoes. Likewise, you're not going to get as many potatoes <laughs> oh out of that God. plant as you would a normal potato plant. So you're kind of just... Spl- you're, you're growing at both it's ends. For yeah. It's for fun. It's for fun. That's so weird. <laughs> well, what if you ketchup did it yourself? Ketchup and fries. I, that's, ketchup yeah. and chips or fries, whatever you call them. I call it Plantin Stein's Delicious Monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of cool, okay? That like, is cool. That is cool. And I, I think those people deserve some credit for being that nerdy about their plants. <laughs> uh, there's also... Um, in the houseplant world, there's a couple of different ways things are grafted as well. So everyone has seen the little moon cactuses that will be like a green shaft with... Is there a problem with the word shaft, Dan? No, I just got a whiff of yes, <laughs> snoring dog's gas. Oh, no, Ambrose. Excuse yourself, son. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, moon cactuses. Moon cactuses... <laughs> Dan's dying. Dan is dead. Uh, moon cactuses are hot pink or bright yellow or bright orange, and they're grafted onto a green shaft. So they're kind of crazy looking. But the reason why those are grafted is because those pink, orange, yellow parts of the moon cactus do not have any chlorophyll. So in order for that part to survive, it has to steal Hmm. food from something that is photosynthesizing, Hmm. hence the green trunk that it's grafted onto. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I've seen a bunch of Christmas cactuses that will be spliced onto like a central cactus situation. And you get kind of this funky umbrella 
look hmm. with all of the beautiful blooms of a Christmas cactus. So that's pretty cool. I feel like I only ever see those come up in my feed. I think they're in Asian markets more. Like we haven't done that much with grafting and Christmas cactus in the United States yet. Yeah. Um, but it looks really cool. I just yeah. don't know how to do it. Yeah, it does look really cool. And every time I try to buy moon cactuses, inevitably the trunk of the moon cactus is going to catch some kind of disease and rot and die. <laughs> so there are people who will splice their the moon cactus top onto hardier cactus barrels, oh. which I want to do because then I will have a moon cactus for much longer. <laughs> There's no like scientific name because it's two different species put together. So, so it's so I would have to look up two scientific plant. names yeah. and get them both wrong. So, <laughs> so sorry, friends. You're just gonna have to Google moon cactus and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They come in purples too. It's Actually, cool. the purple ones have a little bit of ability to photosynthesize because they're that darker color and there is some chlorophyll in the <laughs> cactus itself. So, oh. I have been able to keep like after the trunk died, I kept a purple moon cactus alive for a couple of years. So that's kind of cool. So maybe those are more sustainable and I should just be happy with purple stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Purple uh, stuff's awesome. Purple stuff. Purple's a fruit. All right. What's our next question? Heather asks, I have a half wine barrel and I'd like to plant some kind of dwarf fruit tree or a shrub in it. What should I plant? I'm renting in May, moving a year or so, year or two. So it should be something that won't get too big to move. I'm thinking of a dwarf lemon tree. I also love blueberries, but they seem like a lot of work. I live in the Sacramento area, zone 9B. What a luxury. And I have a spot in the yard that gets full sun year-round. That's pretty cool. That's rad. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Don't know where you're talking to us, but yeah. (laughs) First of all, we're jealous. Second of all. Very jealous. We're still jealous. Um, I, I think you're All right. Yes. Blueberries are cool. And yes, you can grow blueberries in containers. The advantage of growing blueberries in a container is you can control the soil pH Mm. because blueberries need it actually fairly acidic. Um, but a lot of varieties of blueberries want a cold, uh, chill time. Not all of them, because there's some that grow in, like, South America. Hmm. However, a lot of blueberries require more than one bush for cross-pollination to get a bumper crop. Yeah. So, yeah, throw out the blueberry idea, because you have the ideal situation to actually grow a dwarf lemon tree. I think if... That sounds awesome. That sounds way awesome. Yeah. Lemon trees and lime trees. You can make a drink whenever you wanted. <laughs> Go out and grab a lemon, fresh lemon. They're they're ripe all year round. Wrong. <laughs> There's a season for that. And since you have year round sun, you can do something like citrus. I would yeah. I would kill to do citrus. Yeah, or like an orange tree, like a little orange tree. A little blood orange. Yeah, that can be pretty cool. I think actually specifically a Meyer lemon. They are much yeah. sweeter than a regular lemon. And I believe they've been bred to not have the big gnarly spines on them the way that if you just grow a regular lemon seed oh. from a lemon at your house, the the lemon that comes out of that, mm-hmm. the tree that comes out of that is going to have some big thorns on it. And they're, they're pokey. They're pretty wicked. Ouch. Ouch. Meyer lemon might be better in that respect, but... They are small, compact. People have been able to be successful with them a little bit indoors, but out of doors in a container, yeah, it's not going to grow too big in two years. There's no way. Cool. And it's going to have slightly sweeter than normal lemons. 
That sounds great. Sounds like a plus to me. Do it. And My- you could always chop the top off, too. That's true. Right? Don't be afraid to prune. Yeah. If it gets to be, you know, if, you, if you're looking at it and you're like, you know what? It's a little too tall. Grab your pruning shears. Chip, chip. Or a samurai sword. Karate chop. <laughs> <laughs> and just samurai hack that puppy down to the correct size. Yeah. Done. You can, I think that with citrus trees and stuff, um, you may be able to keep them in a kind of a bush form if you wanted to. Yeah. You yep. just, yeah, it, let it have some lower branches and stuff that you don't remove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Please send us pictures once you get something really cool planted in there. When it's little, you might be able to do some herbs and stuff around the outside, and then you can have, you know, yeah. some mint and lemon for your cocktails. Oh, heck yeah. Yes. Or you could plant some heliotrope. Oh, you do love it. the smelly heliotropes. Oh, heck yeah. Dan loves smelly. Then it'd be things. like purple and yellow. That'd look really pretty. Uh, when it's got lemons on it. Exactly. Also, <laughs> Minnesota Vikings. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Sacramento. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Sacramento Kings are also. Is there still a basketball team in Sacramento? I feel like the Kings are still there. They're purple. I, don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a lapsed NBA fan here, so sorry. Lemon tree, go for it. Let's do another question. Uh, another question. Amy asks, any tips for worm bins? Like, how can I store the castings now that it's winter and I can't use them? We were reading this and thinking about it, and we think, collectively, the Mm -hmm. royal we, which I guess includes Dan. uh, (laughs) (laughs) The sidekick we. My we sidekick. Uh, All right, if you have a garage, we were thinking... You already know how to take care of your worms. You can't use them right now because it's winter time. If you have a garage, mm-hmm. I would bag them up. Bag them up. Put them in the garage or put them outside to freeze. Who cares? Because yeah. it's you, not alive anymore. You're just keeping the worm colony alive and mm. they're done with the poop. They're not, yeah. you don't need to, like, you don't have to find a purpose for yeah. this poop immediately. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. You know, that is a concern for, not for worm poop, but for, um, damn it. What's the name of that, like, beneficial fungus that grows on the roots of plants in the soil? Oh, mycorrhizal fungi? Yeah. So that stuff sometimes is in soil. Hopefully it's in your soil. And if you have, like, a potted soil that you let it sit outside and it freezes sometimes, Uh that can die. Oh. And then if you just like let it sit out over winter and you live in the north, the frozen north, and then you just like stick another plant in it next year, it'll probably do okay, but it won't grow nearly as well as if you had brought it inside and not let the the, the mycorrhizal fungi die. Yeah, or if you mixed in like fresh good stuff with it. So yeah, sometimes like if you have soil, you don't want to let it just like sit outside and freeze into a brick. But the worm poo. Doesn't have any of that. Yeah, like I would wager there's probably room in a basement or a garage or if it's double bagged. Worst case scenario, honestly, put it outside in the snow over an area that has plants under it. Like Hmm. throw it in your favorite shrub because, I mean, 
we don't all have extra room to store warm poop <laughs> over the winter, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and the important part is that you're keeping your colony alive and you're and you're still decomposing your bananas and your yeah. scraps and stuff like that. So I think that might be an option is add it to your compost bin, even though it's winter time. Keep it in a, a basement or a garage in a Tupperware or something like that and use it outdoors. Or just bag it up and put it out outside in the backyard. Yeah. Just so get, you know, leaning against the house. Yeah. And you'll forget about it until you start to smell it in the spring. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be too much because, like, a lot of nutrients have been depleted out of it at that point. So I doubt it'll get too bad. Like but... Yeah, just just focus on the fact that you're keeping this healthy colony alive and they're going to keep making poop for you so you don't have to immediately make 100% usefulness out of every yeah. worm poop this winter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just keep those wormy boys going. It's fine. I also have a dog with plenty of poop for you. If you need <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next question? Yeah. All right. I believe this is actually the last one. Uh, Sylvia wants some info about uh, taxonomy. How do things that, that look super different belong to the same genus? How are poinsettias and Alfred milk tree both euphorbia? How are a string of pearls and pickle plants both senecio? Is that senet? I don't know how to pronounce that really. Uh, I think you were close with senecio. Okay, I feel good about it though. <laughs> That's a good question. Dan said he had some taxonomy. Yeah. Taxonomy, taxonomy you. <laughs> so I think a lot of people approach this with the idea that like if plants look similar, then they should be related. That's not really the case. Sometimes it's true, um, but oftentimes um, things will develop independently to look similar to each other and they aren't related at all. Right. Um, plants have, and this is kind of like an oddity of science or whatever, you know, like now that we have, let me back up a step. I'm getting ahead <laughs> so of yourself. Like, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. So like that's how it, taxonomy used to work, that plants that looked similar to each other, they would just put them in the same group. You have a square stem and you smell minty. Must be a sedge. <laughs> <laughs> um... But anyway, now we have, like, we can look at DNA. Like, we have genetic technology. So now we can look at stuff and be like, oh, well, you know, the genes don't look similar at all. You know, their genome is actually very similar to whatever, this other plant. Mm -hmm. So now that we can sort of peer behind the curtain, um, we have this insight into all these these plants. So, like, if you take, um, I think it's the orchid family. There's like 26,000 genuses or something, or species of wow. orchids. It's like wow. totally insane. Wow. And like the variation between those is enormous. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is their number of chromosomes. So yes. like we are diploid creatures, right? So like we have 13 chromosomes. No, we have 23, but okay. Right, right. Well, we have 13 and then... Okay, I'm messing this up. Anyway, uh, we have a co- we have one copy of each, or we have two copies of each one. Correct. Right? Yes, we have two copies of 23 total chromosomes. Right. So that makes us diploid. So some of these plants are triploid, oh, and yeah. some are tetraploid. So they have like three copies or four copies. 
So the amount of mutation that can go on is uh, greatly increased. Yeah, for sure. So that's at least one way that you can get a lot of variation very quickly between plants. Another thing to consider is that, you know, plants that are in the same family and might be descended from a common ancestor, that ancestor may not necessarily still be around. So it might be that their closest living relative doesn't look anything like them. But, you know, if you were to look a million years ago, the plants that they were both descended from would look very similar. And how these plants both originate from a common ancestor is through sexual genetic transfer, like we're talking about with, you know, uh, wheat and barley and all of these crops Hmm. have a lot of genetic crosses built into them. They have six or seven ancestors that, that over time they just keep adding more bits to it until we get something that gives us the texture, the flavor, the the amount that we want. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's some genetic differences that happen that will give a plant an advantage in a certain environment. And so things will grow and develop differently because seeds fell in a couple different places or something was carried further away and eventually a mutation becomes a permanent part of a new species. Right. So there's a couple different ways that you can get some cool taxonomy. But genetics has definitely completely screwed up uh, (laughs) what we thought about in taxonomy. Like when I was in school, I learned so, so many species names and Mm -hmm. in this genus and this, all of these things. And a lot of it has been reorganized now that we can tell genetically we were incorrect in assuming that when two things look alike, they are the same plant. So I have such weak uh, <laughs> Latin names for all these plants now because I don't want to assume that all the old stuff I knew was totally accurate. But I'm trying. I, I try to learn a few new ones here and there. I just don't work in that field. I I just dream in that field. Oh. <laughs> the field of dreams. The field of Kevin Costner. Is that not who's in that? I don't even know. I never saw it. <laughs> I'm not into baseball. You nailed it. That was a great Q&A session, guys. Let's end on a high note. Thanks for listening to Verdant North. Find our blog post online at at verdantnorth.net. Find us on Twitter at at verdantnorth. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Verdant North. If you want to contact us but hate social media, you can email us at verdantnorthteam at gmail.com. You can hear this podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Don't forget to like, rate, comment, and share the podcast. The more likes, ratings, comments we receive, the more visible this podcast becomes or listenable. Maybe I should change that word after two years. Uh, We don't pay for advertising, and we don't have any networks backing us. We are just us. So sharing our show with your friends, family, and fellow palant plant nerds is the only way we get heard if you, it. if you like what you're listening to and feel like contributing you can donate to us at ko-fi.com backslash verdant north that's ko-fi.com backslash verdant north you can find caroline hallstrom on twitter at miss o line that's miss zero line 
You can find Dan Hudson on Twitter at, at Verdant Dan and also having some weird plant eugenics campaign that no one knows where <laughs> I'm going with. Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at, at Marlon underscore Rando. As always, special thanks to Brie Edisted and Dewey Vu for their graphics and artwork for our website. And extra big thanks for webmaster Corey Hartung. Happy for, birthday, Corey. It's your birthday. <laughs> for making sure we exist on the web. And as always, a big extra special thanks to Minneapolis band Volcanus for allowing us to use their tunes. Follow their hilarious video blog project on YouTube and listen to them and arch rival band Prozac Rat on Bandcamp, YouTube, and find them on Facebook. Thanks for listening and always remember. It's okay. It's okay to kill plants. Or to ask questions. Yeah. Always ask questions. Ask questions <laughs> about killing plants. <laughs> <laughs>